Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, we're going to be in verse 12, or excuse me, 13. And in Joshua chapter 5, um, we're going to look at really just three verses today. And uh, 13, 14, and 15, and talk about unconventional preparation. But as we start, uh, I want to remind us of the verse that we have been focusing on uh, for the last number of weeks. It's Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And this is what it says in uh, God's Word. It says this, Have I not commanded you? Why don't you say it with me? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What an incredible verse, huh? So we, we've walked through the book of Joshua and last week we talked about unconventional preparation that Joshua and the people of Israel are, have literally come through the Jordan and now they're in the promised land just outside of Jericho and where the, the most strategic time for Israel to attack the city of Jericho would be right now, that very moment when they come through the people because, uh, or through the Jordan because in chapter 5, it even says that all, um, when they heard the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them. So even the people of the nations, the, the people in Jericho had heard what God has done and they're terrified and it would make sense. Now's the time. Let's go in while we have the moment of surprise, while we have fear in hand. And God says, no, I've got some preparation to do, some preparation to do. God was not about to work according to their timetable. Have you noticed in your life that God does not work according to your timetable? Amen? Um, we serve an on-time God, but He's not on your time. Amen? Uh, and so, I heard one preacher say, He's not always on time, but He's never late. Uh, he's never been late. So, He doesn't work according to our timetable, nor does He work according to our strategies. Have you ever uh, come up with a plan and then said, Lord, this is what I would like for you to do. Uh, God often doesn't work that way, does he? Um, I remember Isaiah chapter 55 where God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts higher than yours. In other words, God says, I, I got the strategy too. So he's not going to work according to our timetable. He's not going to work according to our strategy 
But in this passage, what we see is Yahweh is going to keep his promise. Yahweh was going to bring them into the land. Yahweh was going to fight for them. But before he is going to work through Israel's hands, he needed to work in their hearts. And so today we're talking about unconventional preparation. In other words, last week we looked at the ideas of um, before you go in, we've got to circumcise all this new generation. And we talked about that last weekend. And we looked at that idea that, that circumcision was a, a statement, a physical statement, that I am a part of God's spiritual people. It was an outward expression of a heart's uh, communing with God. And so they, they did that. This whole generation that came out of Israel had now passed away in the wilderness. And this generation that had been born in the wilderness had not yet been circumcised. And they needed to get that right. And so before they were going to go in, they had to get right with God. And circumcision was essentially saying also that we're set apart from the world and for God's purpose. And God's covenant that He made with them, it was painful. It was a painful covenant, this circumcision thing. And it was bloody and in their own blood. And it was irreversible. And we talked about how last week that as that covenant of God was painful and bloody and irreversible, so too God's new covenant was painful and it was bloody, but it was not our pain, nor was it our blood that was shed for the covenant of God, but rather it was the blood of Christ shed for us. And it's by that blood that we are sealed and redeemed and brought into God's people. And then they celebrated Passover in the beginning of chapter 5, to celebrate God's redemption from slavery in Egypt. And they were reminded there that their salvation was only possible because God fought for Israel. God did something for Israel that they could not do. And so Yahweh, at the Passover, He judged sin and provided a substitute that the Lamb would die instead of the people. And Yahweh was to be trusted by coming under the blood of the Lamb... And so too, you and I, if you want to be saved from the judgment of God, you can't do it. There's nothing that you can do. God did for you what we couldn't do for ourselves. What is impossible with man is possible with God. He sent His only beloved Son. God became flesh to dwell among us. And John the Baptist called Him the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. And the book of Hebrews speaks time and time again how Jesus is the final sacrifice for sin. His blood so sufficient that you never have to do another sacrifice. All you have to do is to trust in the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. See, but Yahweh wasn't yet finished with his unconventional preparation. You know, if you came into to Jericho or the edge of Jericho at Gilgal and you thought, all right, we're going to go into battle and then God wounds all of the men of war. You go, okay, God, that doesn't make sense for me. And now he is about to do one more thing. There was one more thing Yahweh needed to do to get Israel ready, and it was a divine meeting. And so I want you to open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. And if you don't 
own a Bible, there's a, a black Bible in the pew rack in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible home. Use it. We've got lots of people who've taken that Bible and they bring it to church every week. And that is their, their Bible. And so please do that. So this is what it says. And we're going to read 13 through 15. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted his eyes and he looked. What's Joshua doing out there all by himself? Have you ever wondered? Have you ever thought to yourself that maybe Joshua just needed a moment to be alone? Joshua had just led this humongous group of people through the Jordan River, out of the wilderness, and now he just is supposed to take this fortified city. And maybe Joshua's out there in the wilderness going, okay, what do I do you know, you remember Winnie the Pooh, he sat on his thinking stump and he said, think, 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 think. And us men, we can't do two things at once. Don't amen, you ladies. Don't do it. And so he just needed silence, okay? And so maybe Joshua is just taking a walk in the evening and he's out there all by himself and just thinking, what are we going to do? This city is huge. And I remember, I, I saw this city the first time and I remember the people in it and we seem like grasshoppers before them. I remember how big they are. What are we going to do? Maybe he's praying and just saying, okay, Lord, you've done it this whole way. What are you going to do now? And he is out there, and it says he was by Jericho, and he lifted up his eyes and he looked. Can I just say, some of us, we will never see God in the middle of our problems because our eyes are so fixated on the size of our problems. If you want to see God in the midst of what you're going through, you've got to get your eyes up. I remember Psalm 121 that says, I look to the heavens where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. Maker of, heaven up and ma maker of heaven and earth. See, we got to lift up our eyes. He says he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword, or his drawn sword in his hand. Now, just imagine you're on a walk all by yourself. I'm not sure if Joshua was always packing his sword, um, but he was, he was out there walking, and he sees a probably very large armed man in the wilderness, and he immediately has the question, are you trying to kill me or are you going to kill them? I, I need to know whose side you're on. Uh, he's, he's a commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua is a commander of the army of Israel. And so Joshua probably has lots of training in this. And Joshua's on the defensive. And he sees this man and he's got his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua knows this ain't good news. He's ready for battle. He's ready for battle. And he asks the question, are you for us or for our adversaries? That seems like a pretty simple question. You have option A, us. Option B, adversaries. And this commander of the Lord's army in verse 14 says, and he said, no. No. No to which one? No to what? Are you for us or for them? That was a pretty simple question. No. 
Now, have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed how in our world it's easy to pick sides, and in our world it's easy to say, God, are you for us or are you for them? We do that in elections all the time. Which side are you on? We, 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 kind, of, we kind of pick fights. We make sides. We put, put people on different teams. We put people on different corners. And then we say, whose side are you on? No. I don't work like you work. No. That's not how this plays out. He says, no. Uh, Tony Evans says it this way. Uh, God didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Came to take over. This is oftentimes like we do, whether it's in our homes or our lives or our churches. Uh, we often will make plans and say, God, here's what I need you to do. I need you to get on board with my plans. And oftentimes God's going to say, no, that's not how I work. He says, are you for us or are you for them? He says, no, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now, that word commander is literally the word prince or captain. But he says, no, I'm the prince of the army of the Lord. I'm the captain of the army of the Lord. I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. I am. Do you see that? I am. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Now here's what I want you to see in this passage. One of the things that I want you to see is that um, this is not an angelic being. This is in fact God in the flesh. This is God with us. How do I know it's God in the flesh? Number one is that uh, Joshua falls down on his face to worship. And guess who doesn't stop him? Now, all through the scriptures, we see um, people fall down in worship. I mean, even in the book of Acts, uh, uh, people fall down and worship Peter or Paul. And they say, no, no, get up. I'm a man just like you are. And in the uh, in, the, in, the, in the book of Revelation, John falls down before an angel and he says, no, don't worship me. God alone is worthy of worship. But here, Joshua falls down to worship this commander of the army of the Lord, the prince of the army of the Lord, and nobody stops him. God alone deserves worship. God alone is worthy of our praise. Psalm twenty. Nine says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Uh, the psalmist says that He will not share His glory with another. There's one worthy of worship. Joshua comes face to face with the army or the commander of the army of the Lord. He bows down before Him. Why? Because He knows who He is. He is the great I am in the flesh. A lot of people will say, that when we see God incarnate, we see a, a picture of Jesus. So this is God revealing himself in flesh to a man. And the second way that we know that this is no regular angel, but rather God incarnate is because verse 15 says, and the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off the sandals from your feet for you are standing where the place where you are standing is holy. 
What's that sound like? You remember Moses shepherding sheep out in the wilderness and he comes to the mountain of God and on the mountain of God there's a burning bush. And he approaches the burning bush because Moses is a pyromaniac, just like you and me. No, I'm just kidding. We're drawn to fire. We're drawn to light. We're drawn to those things. He sees this bush and it's not being consumed even though it's on fire. And he goes to it and a voice speaks to him, Moses, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I want you to understand that anytime we come into the presence of God, we're on holy ground. Can I just encourage you today that one of the things our church, the church as a whole, all across the United States, I can't speak for anywhere else, but all across the United States, one of the things we have forgotten is the holiness of God and the response of humanity to His holiness. God is love. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is kind and He is compassionate. But before He can be any of those things, He must also be holy and just and righteous and wrathful. Well, I like the other version. I like plate number one. I don't really like the, the just, righteous, holy, and God who has wrath. But you can't have one without the other. We can't know the love of God without the wrath of God. I don't know that I need to be saved, I don't know that I need grace until I understand that I'm under God's judgment. God is holy. And that's a good thing that He's holy. Because if He wasn't, He wouldn't be worthy of worship. If He wasn't, He would not be worthy of you giving your life to Him. If God was not holy, there'd be no reason for us to gather today. But He is holy. And we have, we have made God in our image rather than worshiping the God of the Bible. See, when any human being came in contact with, with God, they never treated Him like we often treat Him in church. Shoes came off. down on their faces, passed out, fainting before a holy God. And that's the God that we worship today. I want you to understand, he says, take off your shoes for the place you're standing is holy ground. Do you know, do you remember that the Bible reveals that that same pair of sandals has been on Joshua's feet for the last 40 years? This is the same pair of sandals that Yahweh, their provider, has made last for 40 years. I can't make my son's shoes last six weeks. It's impossible. He either outgrows them or puts a hole in them. But God makes these shoes last. These sandals last for 40 plus years in the wilderness. God has a way of making things last when we need them, and God has a way of reminding them that those things are not uh, worthy of worship, but He alone is worthy of worship. Don't worship the gift, worship the giver. And so in this passage, we see 
He takes off his sandals. He has this divine encounter with God in the flesh, and he worships him. And I love what he said. He says, no, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. He says, this is the reason why I've come. God is here among you, and he shows up in the midst of all this that's about to happen. And I love what he says. Joshua's response, he fell on his face to the earth. He worshiped and he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? In other words, what are your marching orders? Joshua understood where his marching orders came from. Joshua was the nation's leader, but he was willing to submit himself to the leadership of God. I think that's one of the biggest things I've I've grieved over in our nation. is simply that we don't have a leader who submits himself to God. And I don't think we have for a while. He, what, are your mar- what, do you, what do you want to say to me, God? What do you want to say to me? And so then the, the commander of the Lord's army, God in the flesh, lays out this battle plan in chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, where he says, here's what you're going to do. The, the priests and all the people of Israel are going to walk around the city of Jericho one time each day for the first six days. And then on the seventh day, you're going to go seven times around the city. And, and when you get around seven, the seventh time, the priests who are bearing seven trumpets of a ram's horn are going, to, are, are going to blow it. And the people are going to shout and the walls are going to fall down flat. Can you imagine what Joshua said in that moment? Our plans were a little different there, God. I was going to go in the front door. And you just want us to walk around it and play music. Okay. Okay. We're talking about this idea of unconventional preparation. Here's what I, I want you to hear today. That before God's going to use a people for its glory, what he's got to do is he's got to prepare them for what he's going to do through them. And there was the spiritual side of it that was... Um, uh, uh, the Joshua, I want you to circumcise the people and celebrate the Passover. I want you to be right with me. I want you to walk with me. I want you to know me. I want to show you who I am and what I've done for you. I want to show you my faithfulness. And I want to show you my faithfulness now so that you can trust my faithfulness when you're walking in uncharted territory in the days ahead. And I want to show you who I am. I want to show you how good I've been to you. I want to show you my redemption and my covenant with you. But I also want to share my plans with you. There was the spiritual side of it, but there's this very practical nature of how in the world are we, this little nation, going to take down such a fortified city such as Jericho? God shows up and he says, you're not going to do it your way. I've got a plan. So I have a, a few points of application today. And, and I want to focus most of my time here just on this application. The first thing that I want you to hear today is that, number one, Jesus is the commander of the Lord's army. He is the commander of the Lord. He is the prince of heaven. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Now, 
This text teaches us the appropriate response when we have a divine encounter with Jesus. This, this text teaches us what to do. So here's what I mean. We often talk about salvation in a lot of different terms. We talk about salvation in terms that maybe the Bible doesn't use, like uh, we, you should invite Jesus into your heart. Invite Jesus into your heart. You know the Bible never says invite Jesus into your heart? Uh, we, we say, you need to pray this prayer. Did you know that the prayers aren't magical? We've said things like, we need to decide for Jesus. I just can't find that anywhere in the Bible. Even accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And, and, and here's what each one of those terms do. It kind of makes Jesus seem like He's following you around on His knees begging you, please follow me, please follow me, please follow me. Like He's needy. And I want you to know He's not needy. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He needs nothing. But he desires, he desires that each one of us give ourselves to him as the commander of the Lord. The Bible doesn't teach us salvation in the ways that we've just mentioned, but here's what it does say. See, when, when Joshua encounters the living God here on the plains of Jericho, everything changes for him. He's been the leader and now he sees himself rightly and he falls down at the feet of one who is much greater. He surrenders his plan, he surrenders his ways, and he says, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to do to me? What do you want to do through me? I give myself to you. What we see in the Bible is, yes, we know that Jesus is compassionate. And 2 Peter chapter 3 says that he's not slow about his promises. Some count slowness, not wishing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. Yet, we see Philippians chapter 2 says, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, every knee will bow. We see Scripture talk about how we see our efforts falling short of God's glorious standard. And so we need to surrender our efforts to save ourselves and trust in God's plan of salvation. God can do for you what your greatest efforts on your greatest days in a million lifetimes could never accomplish. And that is save you. We need to surrender our efforts and our plans to save ourselves, and we need to confess Jesus as Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And so we need to trust in God's plan of salvation. But I want you to see that what, what happens in this passage is that Joshua bows the knee. He falls down face first before the Lord in worship. And listen to me, I want to just communicate, I love you guys so much. And, and that's why I say this, just desiring that every person in this room would truly be saved. That if you've never bowed your knee and your heart and surrendered your life to Jesus, 
Just because you've prayed a prayer, just because you've walked an island, just because you've been baptized does not mean you're saved. But bowing the knee to Jesus, confessing Him as Lord, does mean that you're saved. There's a difference. And this is not just a one-time occurrence, but I wake up every morning and I bow my knee to Jesus. I wake up every morning and confess Him as the Christ. I wake up every day And I surrender my plans to His and say, what are your marching orders for me today? See, this is not a one-time event, but like Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, he says, as we have received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. I need to repent and confess Him and bow my knee to Him and surrender to Him every day day. We received Him by grace through faith in Christ, and now we walk by grace through faith in Christ. Not of my own efforts, but according to His grace, I work. And guys, I just want to say, I believe that God wants of His church, His capital C church, all the people that belong to Him, to be a knee-bowing kind of church. Let me push a little bit. I believe we're a little afraid to bow the knee in public. We need to be a knee-bowing kind of church. We need to be a tongue-confessing Jesus kind of church. Jesus says, if you confess me before others, I'll confess you before my Father. But if you deny me before others, I'll deny you before my Father. So if we're not, church family, if we're not willing to confess Him before our brothers and sisters in Christ, and if we're not willing to bow our knee to His Lordship before our brothers and sisters in Christ, what says that we're going to bow our knee and confess Him in public among those who don't know Jesus? If there's ever any hope for me to confess Him out there, it's got to start in this place where I'm among my brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe Jesus wants us to be a a church of surrender. I know that because He wants me to be a person of surrender, and He wants you to be a person of surrender. He wants us to constantly be laying our plans and our strategies and our efforts and our works down for Him. What do you want to say to me, Lord? God, you know I've been planning and strategizing. That's why I'm out here all alone on the plains of Jericho. And today, right now, I just want to say I surrender them all because your your plans are better than mine. Your ways are higher than mine. Our, Our strategies don't matter. See, Joshua says, are you for us or for them? And the captain of the Lord's army, the prince of God's army says, no, neither. And this is, this is what uh, Abraham Lincoln said. I don't, I don't know if you've heard this statement, but Abraham Lincoln said, my, my concern is not whether God is, God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. But oftentimes, 
in our lives or in churches, we say, God, here's my plan. This is what I want you to accomplish. Now get to work. Unless our goals, unless our, 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 our activity, unless our positions are grounded in Scripture, we cannot reasonably, reasonably expect that the Lord would fight on our behalf. But when we surrender, when we're a surrendering church, when we lay our desires and our positions and our, our plans down before the Lord and surrender them to the Lord, that's a church that God's going to use for great and mighty things. You see, it's in His presence where we get marching orders from on high and oh, that God would find a people surrendered to Himself, yielding to His plans, ready to accomplish His will, His way. The second thing I want you to see in this passage, remember the first is that Jesus is the commander of the Lord. The second is that even leaders need to be led. Even leaders need to be led. In this passage, uh, what we see is Joshua, first in command of the people of Israel. And he's out, and I believe Joshua might just be praying, seeking the Lord, saying, what do you want to do? And the Lord meets him there. And even leaders need to be led. None of us no matter how long we've been walking with the Lord, no matter what positions we hold, no matter what church history or background we have, we all need to surrender ourselves to good biblical leadership. And here's what I mean by that. I, as your pastor, I submit myself to a lot of leadership in my life. I'm a part of a pastor's cohort um, within the South Carolina Baptist Convention where once a month I meet with other pastors who it says in uh, Proverbs that iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I'm submitting myself to leadership in our greater South Carolina Baptist Convention. I'm a part of a local accountability group where pastors have the right to speak into my life and say that was wrong, that was sinful, uh, don't do that. Uh, pray for me that, that I can... Uh, that I can just share my heart. I almost said gripe, but who, you know, pastors don't ever have anything to gripe about, right? And I'm accountable to them, and they follow up with me, and they go, hey, you told me that you were going to have that meeting with this person, or you were going to do this to get right, and so how's that gone? You were going to love your family better. How's that going? Even leaders need to be led. I have two mentors in my life, that I, I regularly submit myself to leadership to speak to me. And, and more than all of those things, every morning I come before the Lord in my den. Every morning I wake up and I bow my knee at the side of my couch and I open His Word and I say, God, lead me. We need leadership, every one of us. Even leaders need to be led. Who's leading you? And I'm not saying it has to be me. I'm, I'm just saying we all need to be being poured into. We need to be seeking people to mentor us. We need to be seeking and finding people who are wiser than us. We need to be asking people to speak into our lives. We need to be submitting to God's Word every day. Who's leading you? 
I wonder if part of, listen to me church family, I wonder if part of our sometimes powerlessness as the church in America is found because we don't early rise in the morning and stand with God on holy ground, stand before Him or bow before Him on holy ground, that we are finding struggles in our life overpowering or struggles in our marriage or struggles in our family or struggles in our churches or whatever it is, we are overpowered by those struggles simply because we don't meet with God morning by morning. Even leaders need to be led. Number three, you're not fighting alone. You're not fighting alone. Can I just say what an encouragement to know that we are not fighting alone? Can you just imagine the encouragement that Joshua must have felt as he's walking? He says, all right, I've got 40,000 men of the, uh, the, the tribe of Reuben and Manasseh or the tribe of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. I've got 40,000 men of war. He might be doing his calculations. He's saying, all right, can we take Jericho with the, with the army that we've got? And he's walking around in the plain of Jericho, and he's just thinking to himself, how are we going to do this with the people that we've got? And then there's this, this captain of the Lord's army standing before him, armed and ready for battle. And he, he says, I'm the captain of the Lord's army. I'm not for you. I'm not for them. I'm for him. And can you imagine the encouragement that that Joshua must have felt knowing that God was fighting with him and for him, that God had gone before him and God would fight after him, but that God would lead the battle, that God is, in fact, going to fight this battle on Israel's behalf? Can you imagine the encouragement? Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us. That God would have left heaven, his throne, his home, the place that he so deserved, left heaven and condescended down to us. He came down to our level. He stooped down into our world filled with sin, and he became a part of this mess. He took on the mess of this world that he might be with us. And that is one of the hopes of the gospel of Jesus, is not that he's going to change my circumstances, but that he's going to be with me in the midst of them. He's not going to make your path rosy, but in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for thou art with me, your rod and staff comfort me. God is with us. So one of the hopes of the gospel is that we never have to do this alone. One of the promises of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says in John chapter 14, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. The Holy Spirit will take up residence inside of every believer. That's good news. God, if you are a Christian, God lives in you. He's with you wherever you go. You never have to walk alone. Your family's gone. You're not alone. Your friends have forsaken you and abandoned you. You're never alone. People have stabbed you in your back. You're never alone. You're walking in uncharted territory. You're never alone. The promise of Joshua 1.9. Be strong and very courageous. Do not 
uh, fear and do not be dismayed, for I, or the Lord your God, is with you wherever you go, is shown to us here in this passage. I'm with you. And Joshua now sees it. What an encouragement that God is with us. Philip Keller um, says it this way. He wrote a book about Joshua. He also wrote a, a little book called uh, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. Great book. It's a really short read. Check it out. But Philip Keller said of this idea, he said, In every engagement, Joshua could count on supernatural forces acting as his allies. It was an insight that gave Joshua incredible courage and confidence in all his future conquests. This acute awareness of Christ ever with us in the conflicts of life is a reality few of God's people relish or rely on. Yet in the supreme, it is the supreme secret to success and triumph in our own troubled world. Jesus says, I'm with you. I love Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 to 21, where he gives the great commission and he says, and lo, I am with you even to the ends of the age. How is that possible? How is it possible that we would never be separated from God? I'm going to close with the gospel. It's possible that God would never leave us nor ever forsake us. Because God on the cross forsook his own son instead of forsaking us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did. God the Father turned his back on his own child so that he would never turn his back on you who have trusted in Jesus by faith. God brought you in to the family of God because he, caught, because he cast his own son out. God could give you all the blessings of the inheritance of God because on the cross, Jesus gave up his. God forsook his son to bring you in. Oswald Chambers says that Jesus drank a cup of wrath without mercy so that we could drink a cup of mercy without wrath. And he promises, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. What an encouragement to a church living in the world that we're living in, trying to do missions trying to reach people, trying to do things we have never done before, I will be with you wherever you go. What good news. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I hope this morning that I've honored you by speaking what is true. And I pray Lord, that you would open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. I pray that you'd open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. I pray that you would bring the Spirit upon us to convict us of sin.
that we might not look up to heaven and curse God like Job's wife. But in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our hurt, in the middle of whatever we're going through, we would be reminded of the very precious truth that You are with us wherever we go. Father, I pray for each of us that as long as we've been walking with Jesus, as much as we've done in His kingdom, that we would humbly submit ourselves to leadership, that we would always seek to be growing and changing. And Father, I pray most of all that every person in here would bow their knee to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and confess Him as Lord that they might be saved. Oh, Father, please. As we sing our final song, Lord, meet with us here. Help us to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, would you...